Are you developing a new primary care team? Or are you already working in a primary care team? Are you thinking about how to get your team working better together? Yeah, me too. Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia. I'm Sarah, a medical anthropologist and team member in the Innovation Support Unit in the Department of Family Practice at the University of British Columbia. And I'm Morgan, a family doctor and also a team member in the Innovation Support Unit. So Sarah, we go on about this a lot, but roles in teams are really important. And when you're co-located and working together in the same space, truly clarity in roles helps ensure that things run smoothly. And you have this reduced risk of duplication of work and you're making sure that the right person in the team is doing the right thing at the right time. That's so key. Well, and in co-located teams, you can also see what's happening across a team and connect, you know, in ad hoc ways. We always talk about hallway conversations, right? You can pull team members in for advice and you can really quickly find opportunities to connect that you wouldn't be able to do in a distributed team. Yeah, I mean, I use a lot of examples of that at the community health center where a hallway conversation about a particular patient, why didn't you consult me about that person with COPD? Or I have a real interest in fitness. Make sure you have that person come and chat with me about that. I wouldn't know those particular personal interests or skills unless we just happen to be chatting about it in the hallway. So really defining roles, but also getting to know team members and aligning roles with expertise and particular interests is really key to developing a high-functioning team. And I think those go together, right? The way we often talk about it is it's not profession, but it's those combination of profession and unique interests and skills that people have. When you have that role clarity, a number of things really start to hum in the team. Without it, you get things like people doing the same thing twice and overlapping work. Or, you know, work isn't well distributed. So you have some people doing a ton of things while a couple people, you know, maybe you're doing less. Right. And that's often if there's a bottleneck, it'll be the family doctor or nurse practitioner who doesn't necessarily share some of those elements of care back and forth. The real challenge with some of that is that if you don't have that clarity, the worst thing is that stuff falls through the cracks and care isn't being delivered the way it should be. Well, and also for patients, then it's really not clear who they need to go to for what when there's people in a team, but they don't know how people are working together or what those particular mm -hmm. things you would go to a different team member for are. Yeah, and if none of that's clear and you're not sharing care properly, people aren't working to scope. And that, that can be frustrating across the team. That's not what we want when we <laughs> think about how we're going to get teams working together. No, I mean, this is a bit of a, a downer start to the episode, but I think those are important to remember because that's what can happen if you're not building that role clarity and working together. On the flip side, when you are, then it really lightens the load across the whole team and it builds up that ability to have the capacity and enjoy the work in a different way. For those of you who heard the Team Up webinar at the end of last season with the STEPS Community Health Center, Kayla and Christine described this really well. Team-based care, nothing's heavy if everyone lifts. And that's how I feel with the patient care we're providing is everyone has their role, their expertise. It's the best care for, for the patient, but also to remove burnout. It, it's really important to have the right people doing the right things with the supports and the expertise to do them. That diversity and expertise is, has been critical. 
I think what was really clear, you know, in, in that discussion with the team from Steps was that this idea of role clarity and of building relationships in the team, really knowing the expertise that's there across the team was really key to their success. And Steps is a great example of a co-located community health center, alternatively funded team. It, it has a lot of the bust of all worlds parts to it, right? It has the flexibility. They're co-located. They're very keen. But it's not always the case. Right. I mean, in distributed teams, I think this is a lot more complex. Yeah, absolutely. And you have all sorts of just structural problems. We've talked about this in, in other episodes too, but that, you know, not working at the same schedule is a big one. Not being in the same space. Those things really inhibit team development. So Morgan, what do you think that kind of challenges and benefits of thinking about how we work through role clarity might be in distributed teams? I'm, I'm thinking first about kind of part-time teams. So I think role clarity in part-time teams is really important because you're not able to check in the moment distributed-wise. You have to trust people from one day to the next. There's actually a bit of an easier way to have increased diversity across the team, I think, with a part-time team. But it's really about being able to bring in additional team members for smaller parts of work, you know, a day a week or two days a week, as opposed to being able to hire somebody full-time. And this is a way a lot of the primary care networks are trying to organize hiring of staff, but you don't have that ability to do the hallway consult or the phone consult in real time between two people who are not working on the same day. And I think finding time for teamwork, you know, we, we talk about working on how you want to work together is incredibly important and might be the hardest for part-time teams just because of the scheduling complexity. Yeah. And I've heard with people who are in that kind of part-time and multiple clinics working, you know, between five or eight clinics, there's a real worry that if they spend all their time trying to become a team with all the different teams, they won't have time for the, the real work of seeing patients. And I think that that's a valid piece. And so you need to be efficient and effective in, in building up the team, but you also don't want to just be a service outside of the team. Continuing this sort of wander through the different kinds of teams that mm -hmm. we've been talking about this season, thinking about teams with outreach, I think we, ha we see some of the same challenges. When's that time to figure out roles and clarity? Do you have those scheduling challenges? You have team members who may not casually overlap. Mm -hmm. I mean, scheduling, those casual conversations, you can assess when somebody is busy or not in the same space. But if you're not in the same space, you just don't know. And I think that makes it harder to connect. But, you know, defining the role and scope of outreach roles, that's often done quite clearly that process is set up people who are doing outreach really know what they're doing when they're doing they're often working in pairs right mm -hmm. yeah so i think one of the important things is knowing what's in scope for the service and then for the people who are there i think that always is an important piece to understand what's the role of an outreach nurse versus an in-clinic nurse and the same person might have each of those two roles on different days of the week and so it, it's really important that that person knows, oh yeah, for outreach, this is what I would do. And when I'm working in that way, I know what I can expect and what I shouldn't expect from a nurse in the role of an outreach nurse. And those things do have to be worked out. And then there's lots of gray area where we continually refine what's reasonable for that role based on conversations. Often the important thing is to ask. And so messaging in our EMR is one way that we do that. The downside for me when I do that is not a clear path to sharing it back to the rest of the providers and sharing back what's working better. I think that's an important piece and it's harder to do unless you have a structure for that. So what about in teams with virtual appointments? You know, 
patients can get better access, which I think is great. We've heard a lot of people really appreciating the ability to connect with teams virtually. Yeah, I was having a chat with a specialist colleague a couple days ago just about this and the value of the access for virtual care, and particularly for that person who was moving between part-time at the hospital, part-time at a clinic, and then a patient having difficulty getting to either location. So real value. But we need to know what's reasonable to do when I have my virtual care hat on versus my in-person care hat on, even though I'm the same you know, family doctor in both roles. There's overlap for sure. There's certain things that are easier to do and certain things that are harder to do with each of those two roles. So it's important to know for other team members and for patients. Can you give me some examples? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think fit-in appointments are probably better. To One probably leans more from one to the other. But to know that, you got to structure it in too. So who's going to have the capacity? Is the person who's doing virtual care booked up solid? Or do they have four or five slots in the day or more that are open? Right. Or is it the reverse? Is it the on-site family doctor or provider that has those open slots for anything urgent? I think there's a lot of fit-in appointments that can be well dealt with with virtual. And I think that's a good example. A very obvious one <laughs> with a clear line is physical exam. I, I do, when I'm doing virtual, you do some physical exam, but it's all observation of the patient trying to do something. It's very hard to measure the size of somebody's liver if you can't touch them. You want to have some sort of follow-up. And probably urgent if you need to for some of those things. The last one I'll, I'll say is just more generically follow-up appointments. Um, so many things, we, we order some tests as part of our assessment and then come back when the results are in. Often those are just simply to talk about the results or tell me how the medication was working. So there's, it's mostly a conversation as opposed to a follow-up with some clear physical exam or something like that. Those would be great for virtual. But what's important is from a role clarity perspective, MOAs need to know that. The patients need to understand that this is actually easier for you, better for you. And as opposed to having to wait for two more weeks, I can fit you in tomorrow to review that result. So I think there's a real advantage there. And a lot of these examples are the same provider going through the virtual process. But this could also be between, say, a family doctor and a nurse. Yeah. And then knowing when to connect and how. Yeah, I think that whole between role between professions is an important one. And it's even more important to have the clarity when you're distributed, if you're not in the same space. You know, having that structure about knowing who can be tapped on the shoulder for something quick, super important. And if we're talking virtual, you want to know who you can contact for some additional support. And as I'm thinking about this, what really comes to mind for me is that extra effort also needs to be put into communicating the existence of, of the team and how these different virtual roles work and work together to the mm -hmm. patient and when to seek care and in what way. And Sarah, just one last thought on that. I feel like we're saying all this extra work, <laughs> and there is, and the, the net result is more capacity, yeah. more collaboration, that lighter sense of work across the whole team. So I think there's, yes, there's more, let's figure out how we're gonna do this, but once it starts to hum, it's really, it just makes it, makes it a lot better. And improved access for patients, right? All around, mm -hmm. team, patients, everybody. 
What does it look like in teams with the network as a referral service? We've already mentioned that the current deployment of PCN resources in BC is really following this sort of hub and spoke model in a lot of communities. And in these kinds of teams, people often have a really good idea about what their own roles are, particularly as they relate to their professional scope. But I wonder about beyond that professional scope of roles. So I think that's the real problem, right? If everyone has a general understanding about what a pharmacist does, then the pharmacist will do the things that everyone thinks a pharmacist will do because that's the referral. That's the request for sharing care. So you're right. It totally falls down to that. Well, what do I think a pharmacist does? And it's not always what a pharmacist can do. And it's definitely at that level of pharmacist as opposed to thinking about a, a role like, well, what about educator and Many of us can be an educator, fill the educator role, but who in our team is going to do that for diabetes? I think those are the things that we want to think about. And it's, it is much harder to do in a distributed network where the structure doesn't promote smaller teamlets, but one pharmacist is covering 10 practices. And that's really hard. And things like, I think, getting to know Bob the pharmacist and learning that they used to work at the Diabetes Education Center or, or something, right? Those kind of pieces I think you lose when you're stuck in that, I have a pharmacist for a day and pharmacist does X sort of scope. So we've talked a lot about some of the challenges in these different mm -hmm. kinds of mm -hmm. teams when we think about getting to role clarity, but how can you make it work better? What do you need to kind of consider? And I think there are some really key things that, that you can do, regardless of the type of team that you're in. The, the biggest one that jumps out for me is always, you know, scheduling time for the team to connect regularly. And it kind of feels like we talk about this in almost every episode, right? Daily huddles, case conferences. We'll put links in the show notes to the other places where we've already covered this off. But different kind of connection mechanisms that help to build sort of implicit norms across a team and mm -hmm. provide those opportunities to talk about role and scope and interest and build relationship. And I think not even implicit, it's about also the explicit. Mm -hmm. So it's making those decisions that do need to be explicit for the people who are working today and, and potentially for people who come in in a week or six months who are new team members to understand how they can fit in and then adjust that, of course. You know, as you were saying that, I'm like, yeah, we, we do say this a lot, but there, there is that sense of you have to take time to make time. And by that, I mean, you've got to spend some time up front and it will create capacity later. So you will gain back. And I think that if you say, like, I'm too busy to do this now, you're always going to be too busy. And if you do it now, it'll be one of those things that you reap the benefits later on. So along with that, making sure there's good communication and knowing what those communication pathways are. If there's some sort of chat or asynchronous communication, that would be great. Knowing how to connect with people when they're working urgently, those things just need to be clear when you're not working in the same place. Writing down the rules, not in, in huge detail, but, but just enough for people to be clear. I think that's important as well. And I think not just writing them down, but also sharing them, right? And creating kind of yes. spaces to talk about them. There are lots of kind of scope of practice materials mm -hmm. that sort of support this role review process. And this could be a really short exercise, asking one person to talk about what they feel like are maybe lesser utilized elements of their scope, but check in, you know, or asking each person to share one thing they'd like to do more of. 
or less of in their day and to do that across the team so that you then get this kind of sense of where people sit in terms of their interests as well as their scope. And we also actually heard a great example from a clinic recently where they were able to bring in a role that they were considering adding to the team. So they were thinking about a pharmacist in this case. And they had a pharmacist come in and, and shadow the provider for a day. And then at, at kind of all these different points in the day, the pharmacist sort of interjected, well, this is what I could do for this patient mm -hmm. to help this. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what I could do here. I, I think that's really that's a really good idea. We did that with, as far as I know, the first ever genetic counselor in primary care. But none of us really knew how a genetic counselor might might fit into the primary care team. And that meant that the genetic counselor actually had lots of capacity at the beginning because none of us were quite sure what she was going to do, including her. We had ideas, but we hadn't figured it out, and that was part of the work. So she shadowed people and she said, oh, I could help here. Oh, here's another example. And sometimes what started to happen was while she was shadowing, there would be this natural handoff. And then both of us, both people started to learn how they were going to work together. So in teams with new roles that come in who have extra capacity at the beginning because they're not seeing patients, they don't have a panel. <laughs> no one them. knows how to use them in the team. Right. <laughs> just be in people's faces in a very pleasant way to educate and co-learn that together. I think it's a great idea and it's cool to hear about the pharmacist. Another thought is that if you're getting to be a bigger team, try to be consistent in scope for the different professions where you can. And then having that similarity allows you to then really highlight the differences in, in areas of interest as well. So these are the things that all of the nurses would be able and happy to do. These are all the things that a physician, these are all the things that a pharmacist would, but Roz has this particular interest. And then we celebrate that. And then we promote it amongst the teams so we're aware of it. But then the common stuff is common. I think that's a really important way to build that efficiency across the team too. And I think we're a little bit biased here, but we think we have a great tool that kind mm -hmm. of also supports these role-focused discussions. And that that's the team mapping that we spoke about in an earlier podcast episode. We recently also had a really great conversation with some of the team-based care coaches in BC where they reflected on their experiences with team mapping and other coaching tools that support role definition. We are a big proponents of the team mapping and to bring it in at the beginning when you're thinking about it, bring it in in a few months to see how it's going. And so bringing those opportunities back and having those continued conversations, you know, because for me, the gold star of team-based care is bringing people together where they're doing proactive, collaborative care planning. And that takes a long time. And we're still in the very beginning process of how people are going to work together. And it was great to sit down and connect with the team-based care coaches. We're really looking forward to the episode that we're going to be putting out in the near future where we share a little bit more of that discussion. But it was really good to hear their experiences about supporting distributed teams and how these things are working on the ground. Now, they're doing a lot of good work all across the province. The practice support program and the new team-based care coaches, they're really working at the elbow from what I've seen and heard, and there's a lot of different aspects to what they can offer from access to different tools and resources, but also some of that coaching around how to work better together and how to work more efficiently in the office. And I think what the coaches are able to do and what's important for coaching and quality improvement in distributed teams more generally, if you're not in BC, is creating those opportunities to bring an intentional focus to have teams work through roles and how they work together.
Yeah, so it's it's taking the time to make the time later. If you do create that space, you can build from that and stay connected over time. So now for our kind of call to action. Think about the current roles in your team and how they're connecting. Make a point of talking about roles within and across the team. Intentionally create opportunities for the team to get together, talk about roles, but then you're also doing that kind of secret team building while you're working together, right? Yeah, I think that's important to create that space. If you want to make it a bit more formal and facilitated, your PSP coach would be a great person to help facilitate that. And there's lots of different resources, depending on what stage you're in, that, that they can help bring to help facilitate that conversation. I think that's a great opportunity also to think about something like a team mapping, lunch and learn. Those things are always helpful as well. And thanks so much. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out to isu at familymed.ubc.ca. And we'll see you next week. Take care. See you next week. 